Again, I want to welcome everybody uh, here tonight. We're continuing our series, a uh, short one, in what we call the story of God. The first week, we laid the foundation that God exists, right? That there is a God. And the God that exists, exists not in some impersonal form, but He exists very personally as Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and we believe in God the Spirit. And last week we saw that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, in the beginning, began to speak things into existence. He began to create. We began to see that this God who is is the God who makes all things, including us, for His glory. Right In His image we are made for His glory. And this God that is Trinity, that creates, looked at all that He had made, and He drew this conclusion, an appropriate one at that. He said this, It's good. Right? The triune God had created a good universe, a place of beauty, joy, harmony, and love. It is still a good universe. And we still get to enjoy those things today. But... Now, the harmony is marred by hatred. The joy is marred by pain. And the beauty is marred by death. What went wrong? That's a quote from Michael Reeves. What went wrong? I think it's an obvious thing to just take a step back for a moment and draw the conclusion that something is wrong with the world in which we live. Right? If you watch the news, if you know anything about what's going on in the Middle East, you know something's not right. Something's wrong. If you ask Jeremy, one of the elders here whose very job is being district attorney for the special victims unit. You come to the realization that something is wrong in the world. And it's not just something wrong out there in the world, right? We're really good at that, being able to point the finger and see and, 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 and experience from a distance that Man, that's jacked up. <laughs> that's not right. That shouldn't be. There's an there's a injustice in the world, is there not? It's not right. It shouldn't be. But there's also something not right in us. Right? I know it in the imperfect ways that I father my children. Is I yell at them saying, stop yelling. And I go, wait a minute, I'm yelling. What's wrong? (laughs) 
with this picture. Or when I ask my children, why did you do that? And they say, I don't know. I don't know why I kicked him. I don't know. I, Dad, I don't know. Right? You get the idea that they're even wrestling with something that's just messed up. Not just out there in the world, but something's messed up inside of each and every one of us. God made it good. But something is not right. What's going on? Is there any solution to this as well? What is our problem? What is the solution if there's any one that exists? Today we're going to paint a very broad brushstroke across the scriptures. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Jude in 30 minutes or so. Promise. <laughs> Amen. That's, see, there we go. We got somebody excited about the message now. Right. I understand that emphasis, Dave. It might be 30 something. But we're going to take a look at our problem. And we're going to also see how God has worked powerfully and purposefully for the world and for people like you and me. An effective, eternal solution. In order to do that, I want you to open up to Romans chapter 5. You see, it seems odd to start this conversation way down the road in the scriptures, but I think these verses, chapter, I'm sorry, verse 18 through 21, paint the broad picture for us quite well. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans, verse, or I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. He says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Even if you stop there, that's the story in short form, what we're going to talk about tonight. But let's go on. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience... The many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. What do you think is the one problem that kind of explains all the other problems that we face as human beings? What is the core issue related to the human predicament? Some might say ignorance. You just don't know. Enough. Therefore, the solution 
to the world's problems at its core is education. If we just teach people, if we just educate, if we just pour information that is true and relevant into people's lives, we'll solve the world's problem. Some would say intolerance is the problem we face in the world today. That is, if we could just somehow conjure up in some sort of community initiative that goes viral and global, that we could somehow gain some sort of universal acceptance. If we could all just get along and accept one another, then we'll deal with our greatest problem, intolerance. Some might say indifference, kind of related. That we don't really care about what's going on. If we could care enough about what's going on, surely we'll find a way to solve all the problems. And someone else may be looking at the, the unfair, unrighteous distribution of resources and wealth would say that our greatest problem in the world is actually abundance. We have a ton or at least some of us do, and we're not willing to share that ton of stuff with each other. That abundance is our problem. And obviously many people would answer the question that the core issue is that we're getting old and we're dying. Right? That's the ultimate issue. Death. Right? Scripture teaches something quite different, actually, than those things. It doesn't say that those things aren't problems. It just teaches that there's actually something else that's undergirding that problem. There's a deeper issue that we sometimes ignore and we don't define as such. And so Scripture says this, right? One trespass led to condemnation for all men. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Scripture is teaching that the core problem in humanity is simply the sin, the, the trespass, the rebellion, the disobedience of one man. All of it rolls up to the, to the sin of one man. And that that is really what's causing all the issues that were faced, the ignorance, intolerance, the indifference, the abundance, all those kind of things that we would identify are simply just symptoms of the real problem. Trespass, sin, rebellion against God. And I want to take you back to that moment. Now that we've Come here, I want to bring you back to Genesis 3. So why don't you turn there to Genesis chapter 3 and let's read the first seven verses and take a look at this one man's trespass. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field than the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, 
and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. When Romans 5 talks about one man's disobedience, he's, Paul is talking about this moment known as the fall of man, where Adam and Eve are, are just going about their day, doing what they do, cultivating, obeying God, Right, naming animals, uh, creating, stewarding God's creation. And in the midst of that moment, and unexpectedly, the serpent, Satan himself, comes in and does what he does best. He simply asks a question, right? Very subtle, very unassuming. He just says, uh, did God really say this? Right, isn't that what Satan's really good at? Right? He's, he's been good at that since the beginning. Just simply asking a question in such a way that would instill some level of skepticism, maybe a little bit of seeds of doubt. And so Satan said, did, did God really say that? Challenging his word. And then Satan does ultimately what he wants to do, give contradiction to the word of God. No, 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 no. God did not say that. And so we see that fundamentally, the one man's trespass, this event that's taking place, is a battle over the word of God. It's a battle over what word do you believe? What word are you committed to? Which one carries with it the greatest promise? And we see that this woman and this man, knowing the word of God, knowing the promise of God, hear the question of Satan, hear the contradiction of Satan, and they give in to what they desire. They no longer desire God. They desire to be like Him, as if they aren't, weren't already made in His image. And God said, if you do this, if you eat of this, you shall surely die. And so we see that's exactly what's happening here. That's what we see unpackaged in Romans 5. That this one trespass wreaked havoc, tragically caused the human race to fall into a place of condemnation before God. In a place where they are dying. And nobody can challenge this. That with the exception of a few by the power and miracle of God, no one has escaped death. Death is a reality that we all must face. And the reason we face it is because it is a fulfillment of God's warning and promise that if you disobey me, if you choose to enjoy something with false hopes other than me, you will surely die. You've cut yourself off from connection to the source of life. And so Adam and Eve sin. They trespass. 
They disobey the word of the Lord. They fall short of the glory of God. They commit high treason against their creator. They were made to know and enjoy God, and they chose to know and enjoy something completely different other than Him, and they suffer the consequences thereof. God is just. He must judge sin. He's holy. And we see that God does not leave them in this state, right? He shows up. The sound of the Lord is in the garden And he's looking for Adam and Eve. The Lord is pursuing already. As they're hiding, that story says, the Lord is pursuing. Where are you, Adam? And Adam and and Eve come clean, and then you see the consequences are given. Because you've done this, he gives curses to the serpent. Because you've done this, he gives curses to the woman. Because you've done this, he gives curses to the man. And they are now exposed. uh, there's expulsion from the garden. They no longer belong in the garden of God. So that is what we know and believe to be the source, the origin, the real issue when we start to talk about the human predicament. That was a long time ago. We seem so far away from those early moments in human history. But you know what? The effects and the experiences make us feel like it just happened yesterday. Amen? Sin is real. It's not just theory. It's real. It's something that we know and experience. We are sinners and we are also victims of sins of others. And we live not just as people who act out sins, but we live as a people in the state of sin. Right? We're born that way. Right? David talks about that later in the Psalms. That, that I was conceived in sin. I was born in this. It's my natural uh, propensity. It's my inclination. It's my disposition to God. It's to say no. And thus we live in the condition and therefore with the outflow, the actions of sin. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do on our own to fix that problem. We are stuck. And many of you feel that even now. Stuck. Enslaved. You say to yourself in your most um, sane moment, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to do that. That's not who I am. But as we continue to wrestle and struggle with those things, we realize that in many ways that's exactly who we are. We're broken. We've sinned and we are sinners. And ultimately the penalty is death, right? What's awful about death it's separation why do we get so sad when people die because we can't see them anymore they're not with us they're gone and so often we hear people say they're still with us friends they're not not trying to be insensitive but they're clearly not here we miss them big time so what death does 
in its ultimate form is separate us from love and those whom we love, doesn't it? That's the greatest pain of death. And what we see is that death in this moment, the condemnation that brought it, death reigning means that man in his sin is separate from God. You can't know and enjoy God in in your sin. And so we see that we have quite the predicament when we begin to talk about our problem in the world, that it is sin, our outright rebellion, our outright rejection, our state that is predisposed to say no to the one who made us. And yet, as we read the scripture, even these words here in Genesis 3, even as we read the scripture, we see that the story does not end there. God judging, sending, separating, death, condemnation, it's over. That's not what the story, how the story unfolds, is it? If you look even here in the midst of condemnation, you see hope from God. I don't want you to miss it. Because the story doesn't end here. Our state doesn't need to end here. Look at what he says here in verse 15. I'm going to put enmity, hostility. Between you, he's talking to the serpent, and the woman. And between your offspring, the offspring of the evil one, and her offspring, the offspring of Eve. I'm going to put hostility between your offspring and her offspring, right? And listen to this. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Please don't miss out on the first moment of hope, the beginning of promise. That God promises to crush the head of the serpent. Albeit he bite the heel. Right? In the one who would fulfill his purposes. Even in the midst of recognizing that our sin is real and it deserves the wrath of God. And that death is a fair just consequence given the creative intentions of God. Even as we see hope. Don't miss the hope of Genesis chapter 3. That's the kind of God that is revealed in Scripture, right? And we see that God is promising the defeat of Satan. He's beginning to promise the deliverance of people from sin. And we see throughout the whole Old Testament, you know, people say, oh, it's just a book about laws and all this, this you know, legalism. God, it, that's, the, God does reveal himself through law. There's no doubt about it. But please don't miss the forest through the trees that this, these laws are a part of a covenant. That the, the God who made us and the God that we've rejected is the same God that is pursuing sinners in covenantal relationship. Come. Here are the terms. Live in this way. Right? And you'll be my people. And I'm going to be your God. That God promises deliverance. And then He begins to pursue sinful people throughout the Old Testament. He starts this covenant with Abraham, doesn't He? The world's going to be blessed. They're living in curse right now. Cursedness, right? But the world's going to be blessed through you. He talks to Moses about a prophet that will come and teach the people. He talks to David about a king that would come and rule and reign, and that king would rule forever. And that the seed of David would always have someone on the throne 
forever and forever and forever. He talks to Isaiah, right? Through the, through the prophets. That yes, my people are a complete disaster in their sin. They're living in the consequences of it. But guess what? I am going to send my servant. And the Lord will lay all their iniquity on him. That's covenant. Why would God make such promises to sinful people who continue time and time again to reject him? Because he made a promise. He entered into a covenant. He and he's pursued people. Don't just see laws. See a God who pursues his people in covenantal relationship. One that he will not back out on no matter how grotesque the sin is inside each one of us. And ultimately we see that God fulfills these promises. That the fulfillment of the covenant, the greatest expression of his commitment, his one and only son comes into the world. Did you hear that? I love thinking about this story in that way. That initially God says, get out in righteous indignation against our sin. But He doesn't just kick us out, right? And leave us out. But God in His love and in His covenant and in His promise takes the initiative to not just kick us out, but He comes to us where we are. In the person of Jesus Christ. All of God's promise. Every one of His covenantal blessings. Everything that He said He would do, He finally does. As the person of Jesus Christ comes into the world through the virgin birth. We know as the Virgin Mary. And I love it. In the midst of this bad news, Mark begins his gospel story by saying what? This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God. In the midst of bad news, God is doing something in the world that wells up good news for us as sinful people. John talks about Him as being the Word. The same Word that creates is the same Word that comes in, person, in the form of a person. As a man. The Word becomes flesh and God Himself lives in the midst of His people as one of them, stripping Himself of all the glory, yes, uh, but still being God and living as man. He lives a perfect, sinless life. That's right. Obedience. Joyful obedience to the Father. The very thing that we failed to do as humans. He's the perfect human, Jesus. And he comes and he lives his perfect sinless life for a very specific purpose. To fulfill the Trinitarian designed mission to save his people from their sin. But how would he do that? Sounds good. But how would he do that? January 13th, 1980. Two, a Boeing 737, otherwise known as a big plane, left Washington, D.C.'s National Airport. It was a snowy day, quite cold, seven inches fell, and you know, we, we are from Syracuse, we know what they do when the ice begins to build up on the wings, 
other than delay our lives, they do what they can to spray off all that ice on the wings. But for some reason, something wasn't right. As they began to take off and go down the runway and begin to gain altitude, they began to realize that they weren't gaining enough altitude. And they weren't at the proper speed because there was still too much of that ice on the wings. And all of a sudden, unexpectedly, on a snowy day in, uh, in Washington, D.C., this Eastern Airlines flight crashed into a bridge and fell right into the frigid waters of the Potomac River. And of course... The press is on the scene. They're there with their cameras. Millions of TV viewers are watching as the helicopter is coming because life expectancy in those temperatures is only a couple of minutes max. So they're lowering the ladder and the rope down and they lower it to this bald-headed kind of middle-aged man who grabs a hold of the rope once and lets it go and they're all confused what's going on why would he do that and then all of a sudden the cop the helicopter comes back and gives him the rope again and he deliberately voluntarily let it go millions of television viewers were shocked as this man willingly sacrificially died by handing that rope to other people. He could have saved himself, but he willingly, sacrificially died so that others might live. Friends, you ask the question, how does Jesus save his people from their sin? He willingly, sacrificially died in their place for their sin. He could have saved himself. You know, you think about him hanging on the cross and those people yelling at him, save yourself if you're really the son of God. Friends, he could have. <laughs> he could have saved himself, but he willingly, sacrificially effectively as the sinless, obedient one, Son of God. He chose voluntarily to hand the rope over to people like you and me. Romans 5.18 says that. Let's go back there. Right? It's one man's trespass that leads to condemnation, but it's one act of righteousness that leads to just justification in life for all men, right? One act of righteousness. That's it. The, we're talking about the cross now. We're talking about this, the symbol that, that we have on our communion table. And we're talking about the, the body and the blood of Jesus that we're, we use in communion. What's this all about? It's about the way in which God has saved His people, right? You will surely die. Jesus dies in our place for our sin. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the holy Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That all was achieved as He hung for us on a tree through crucifixion. 
If you go back to Romans 3, verse 23, you'll see again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Those are three big terms. Justified means that, that the one who is righteous and dies in our place is the one that is the way in which we become righteous. We are declared by God in a court, in a divine courtroom, that we are righteous before God. That all of our sin, all of that condemnation that we once knew is now gone because He bore it for us. We are declared to be righteous before God. We see that word redemption, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, right? This, this idea that we're, we're now set free through the payment of a penalty. A price was paid, and it was his life. And we see that word propitiation. You go, man, what in the world is that? All it means is this, that God's righteous wrath that was uh, directed at our sin, Jesus took it all. All of God's righteous indignation against sin Jesus bore on the cross. That's why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, the God the Father had forsaken him and turned his back on him because all of our sin was laid upon his shoulders. And that wrath, that indignation is now averted. We don't have to experience it. We are no longer objects of wrath, children of disobedience. But because of Jesus, we are now declared righteous. The wrath of God is satisfied, and we are set free. The price is completely paid. That's what Jesus has done for us in His death. And all of this is to be received by faith. That's it. You say, well, oh, I see how He did it, but how does it become effective for me? Total trust, reliance upon His work as the payment, as the propitiation, as the redemption, as the righteousness for you. If you say, I bring any of my own righteousness to the table, that's not really what faith is. If you say, I don't have any righteousness, it's only because of Christ and His death, then you get all of His. That's faith. Complete reliance, complete dependence, on Christ, His finished work, and His person. So in this moment, C.S. Lewis calls it the great exchange. That when Jesus was on the cross, uh, he, he calls it the great exchange, right? For our sake, He made Him who knew no sin. That's Jesus. For our sake, He made Him who knew no sin, so that to be sin, I'm sorry. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's how He saved us. He put all of the unrighteousness on Jesus, and He took all of the righteousness of Jesus and said, Here, people, you who trust in Jesus, you can have all of my righteousness. If you just trust me. No other God in all of the world religions has done this. For his people. Save them. Through his death. And resurrection. Yes man sinned tragically. 
is the heart of our human condition and the problem. But oh, how God has acted in such a way to save us from our sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to try to be quick here, but it cannot be skipped. You may hear these words tonight, you believe them, for the 400 millionth time. You've heard it all before, you're still excited about it, you trust it, you believe it. Maybe for the first time tonight you say, you know, this has never made sense to me before, but tonight it does make a lot of sense and I want to give my life to Jesus. And I don't want to know sin anymore. I want, it to, I, I want sin to be dealt with through Christ. I receive it. I trust in it. But at the same time, you realize that while God has solved the human problem, we still got problems up in here. Somebody say we still got problems up in here. We're in Liverpool, right? North Syracuse, something like that? We're urban. Okay, we're not. We're suburban. I like to think I am. Calvin Klein khakis and all, right? Anyway. There's still problems in the world. This yahoo's up there telling me that God dealt with sin. But we still deal with sin, don't we? So what's going on? That there's this idea that it's already occurred. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Completion. I, you told me what to do, Father. I did it. It's done. Irreversible. Completion. Your mission to save your people. Let that sit. But understand this. The full application of that completed work has not happened yet. Some would say amen to that. Because you look in the mirror every morning and you say, God save me. But man, I'm still kind of jacked up. I kind of yelled at my wife last night. God save me though. How's this working? There is still a mess in the world. The good news is the solution has been secured, but it has not been fully applied to Christ's people completely or the world. Jeremy's going to talk about the, the full application, the consummation of the kingdom of God next week. But right now, we live between the finished work of Christ and the day in which He comes again. We stand between those two moments in what we call the church age. Right? We live, we're a part of a network called Acts 29. You say, well, that's kind of weird. There's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. What's going on there? This idea that, that God's saving activity is still active. It's still happening. It's not fully applied yet by the power of the Spirit through His chosen instrument, the church. And that is why we are here tonight in this room celebrating salvation that's why we're sending you to work tomorrow as a follower of jesus that's why we're collecting on on wednesday evenings to to pray for place to engage the lives of people that's why we do all that we do because god's mission is come complete if you will in christ but it's not fully applied yet to all those that are his and so while god saves his people god is sending his saved people and we need to see that, friends. We can't move on in the story to heaven next week without sitting for a moment and contemplating that, that there's also uh, there's an additional result of God's saving activity. It's not just we're saved from our sin and we're, 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 we're not, we don't have to worry about hell anymore, I guess. But there's this 
sending activity, right? I love it. He sends his son, and then he sends his spirit, and then he sends his people. That's the day and age in which we live, right? Jesus said, John 20, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Ha! Us? Really? You know, like, we were at Liverpool Elementary a couple weeks ago giving them the backpacks. Yeah, the principal was like, yeah, I talked to some of the faculty members here. They're a little shocked that you're a pastor. You? Of all people, there's still a spitball in the sixth grade room that we can't get off the wall because of you. No, she didn't say that, but there might be. He's sending us, his saved people, who still struggle with sin, but are filled with the Spirit of God, right? Acts 1.8, you'll receive power because you are inadequate in and of yourselves without me. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Friends, we are not only saved through Jesus Christ, we are sent by Jesus Christ. And God is still active in the world saving people. How? Through the demonstration of the good news and the declaration of the good news in us. You want to shock the world? You're a pastor? God must have done something. We shock the world when we tell a story that God saved me from my sin. He put His Spirit inside of me. And now I'm doing things that you never thought I would do. And to be honest, I'm engaged in activities that I would never dream of doing without God's mighty power at work in my life. Without the Spirit that has been sent. And so we have to see that the completion of the work of Christ leads to the commission of us. We cannot just wait for Jesus to come. We got work to do, God's people, right? We're not on our own. We've been resourced, we've been filled with God Himself. He didn't abandon us. He's put His very Spirit to live inside of us as we walk through life. So let's do this. Let's recognize and not minimize in any way, shape, or form, sin. It is what it is. We have outright rejected God. We have fallen short of His glory. But let us not miss out on the opportunity to see the way in which, through whom, He has saved us. His Son Christ. Jesus. Let us trust Him. And for all of us who have trusted Him, let us say, listen, my life you've saved, you can have it. You can have everything about it. You can have my relationships. You can have uh, um, my marriage. You can have my finances. You can have my time. Because if you've truly done this in Christ for me, if you've saved me from condemnation and you've saved me from death, you're that kind of God. That kind of God deserves a kind of radical responding to, doesn't he? That's not just something to go like we're at an auction. You know, like, I'll get 10, 11, 12, like. That's not. That action is not something that we just give a nod to. That action in Christ is something that we say, all that I am is by grace. All that is good is Jesus. It's in me. All that, it's Jesus. 
So therefore, you can have all of me. You can have everything. I trust you with every ounce of my life. You can, whatever I would value, it's nowhere near how much I value what Jesus has accomplished for me in his death and resurrection. So I can hold it with an open hand. So we trust in his work. And we make ourselves available to his work. No matter what the personal cost may be to our lives. Because that's why we're still here and not in heaven. Because God wants to use us. Amen? This is a big part of the story of God. And I know for many of you, he's written it on your heart. The themes are universal for the people of God, but, but the stories, the experiences, the how and the when and this and that, all different. It's all part of this canvas of God that's painting salvation on our hearts, right? God's written His story on your heart. And now, Christian, He wants to tell that story with your lives. Let's make ourselves available to that. Work, our neighborhood, our family, let us not shy away from the call that God has placed on every single person that calls Him Lord. Not just pastors, elders, and church leaders. All of us available to His mission in this place. Amen? God has saved us from our sin through Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I just simply pray that we would cling to these words in Romans, Genesis, all throughout the scriptures, all the way up to Acts. We would cling to these words more tightly than anything else in our lives. That this gospel, this good news of Jesus would be everything to us. I pray that it would define our existence, our thoughts, our values, our treasures. That it would not just be something peripheral that we read about, blog about, Facebook about, tweet about, yip and yap about when we're at church. But the gospel of Christ, the salvation of God, of sinners, would be everything to us. And that in the midst of planning a church, may we, may we not forget that what we're really doing is planning the gospel in a community. Through the church. Jesus, you are our Savior. You are our Redeemer. You're the one that reconciled us. You have forgiven us. You have saved us from the wrath of God. You are the propitiator. You are our friend. You're the one who was cursed for us that we might be set free from the curse of the law. There is no one that replaces you. There is no one that compares to you or competes with you in your work. Huh. Root us in this gospel, we pray. If there is anyone here tonight that has heard it for the first time, 
Lord, may your spirit be at work in them. Draw them to you. May they see and hear the beauty of Christ. And may they say, I trust in him with everything I've got. I've got a journey ahead of me, but Christ and his spirit will lead me through it until he returns and makes me finally and fully alive in him. We pray these things in Christ's name.